0: This is Press Publish, a weekly conversation about journalism, technology, and the media business. I'm Josh Benton, director of the Neiman Journalism Lab at Harvard, and this is episode 16. My guest today is Jason Kent. Jason is CEO of Digital Content Next, which I confess I like better under its old name, the Online Publishers Association. That's because it's the trade organization representing most of the country's largest online publishers. I want to talk to Jason because this week marks the release of iOS 9, and with it the debut of ad blocking on the iPhone. Ad blockers have existed on desktop for years, of course, but they've mostly been a niche interest. On your phone, though, the appeal is obvious. Faster loads, lower data usage, fewer annoyances. And as I record, this iOS 9 has been out for about 24 hours, and the number one, number four, and number six paid apps on the App Store are ad blockers. So, publishers are about to see some percentage of their mobile ads disappear. Will it be a rounding error? Or is it the beginning of the end of a certain kind of online advertising? The way pop up ads were killed by technology in the early aughts. Jason's been talking to a lot of publishers and he's convinced it's a big deal. An eight or a nine on a scale of one to ten, he says. We talked about how publishers should respond, whether it's worth trying to block the blockers, and how to keep a focus on your audience needs. Here's our conversation. On Friday, you tweeted, back in D.C., 48 hours, 7,300 flight miles, 30-plus premium publishers, 10 meetings all related to ad blocking, working hard on this issue. Um, I'm curious what, what you're hearing from publishers um, now that we're sort of at ad blocking D-Day. What, how, how concerned are they? Is there any variety in how concerned they are?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of variety in how concerned they are. I think my observation, I was coming back from – from Europe where I'd spent time with a lot of European publishers and it seemed to me, I guess I'd characterize it that they were more comfortable to admit that there was a problem <laughs> um, that, you know, cause this is moving very quickly and, and there may be a little head of of diagnosing it and saying there's a problem. So more open to talking kind of about what the solutions are. Uh, it feels like here there's still a lot of, a lot of noise, a lot of questions coming, a lot of, you know, education in terms of what's real, what's not real. And and that's kind of where we are. And so this is, you know, something that's taken off really in the last couple months here in the States with the Apple announcement.
0: Is there anything you, you would attribute that divide between European and American publishers to?
1: Well, there's certainly been a higher impact on European publishers. You know, the, the penetration rates of ad blocking are, are much higher in certain countries in Europe, uh, Germany, for instance, has a much higher rate than what we're seeing here in the states and the UK. So that's, I think, you know, it's more quickly hit their hit their numbers than it has ours.
0: Have you heard any any numbers privately about the the kinds of the the percentages that they're seeing? Since it seems like estimating ad block usage is is a a and obviously a difficult thing, since the kind of tracking things you would use to track it are often blocked by by the blockers. But how big it. You know, from your perspective, how big a deal is this right now before the Apple move? Right now, just for desktop,
1: is it's a it's a big deal. Um, it's it's a, the trend is the part that really makes it a big deal because it's working in the opposite direction of what pays and funds for this quality content with really no discretion for you know how high of a CPM the ad is or, or the quality of the content around the ad. So so it's it is a big deal already. Um, At a time when publishers don't need more big deals in terms of things that challenge, challenge the ecosystem and the ad marketplace, in Europe I I have heard numbers um, separating from, from the general idea that there's certain types of sites that have higher penetration rates, which also leads to you know I've heard 25, 30 percent penetration for. For gaming sites um, or sites that skew really heavy young male, Um, the, the countries themselves, like Germany, I've, I've seen data from multiple data points where there's publishers that are in the 20% range and, you know, here in the States, I see 10 to 15% from, from both the public research that you all have, you know, that everybody's seen along with uh, data that I've heard back from individual companies.
0: Yeah. It's difficult to to understand the scale, in part because, as you said, it differs from site to site, and because it, it is sort of invisible. I was uh, talking not too long ago to a friend of mine who works at um, uh, a publisher that skews young, but is you know is a big one that most people have heard of, and he was telling me that thirty uh, percent of of their users were using some sort of ad blockers for you know a mostly U.S. site. Um, how big of an impact do you think, you know, the fact that everyone later today as we're taping this is going to be downloading iOS nine onto their phones or deleting lots of things on their phones so they can make space for iOS nine. How, how big of a deal do you think that's going to be? How big of an uptake are you anticipating for ad blocking software?
1: You know, I think it's significant for mobile. I don't know how quick, there's a lot of question marks about how quickly it happens because, you know, friction is definitely the. The enemy of anything in digital, and, and there's friction in installing the uh, the iOS version. So of ad blockers, you've, you you know, you've got to turn a setting on, is my understanding inside of Safari. Then you need to download the app. You have to be aware of the app. So it'll take time, uh, but it's a you know it's a viral couple things. It's a viral group. You know everybody likes to show off their new apps that do cool things, and so friends will tell friends the value proposition to a consumer which is what this is all about and everybody needs to be focused on is the consumer. Uh, the value proposition for mobile is even stronger. You've got a more personal device. You've got more limited real estate. You've got more concern over batteries and bandwidth and all the things people are writing about. So um, so that's particularly con- concerning. And, you know, the Apple, the combination of the Apple development community and the way apps work, you know, it, it, it could move you know, it can move quickly over the next few months. I don't know that there's going to be this mass download today beyond all the people that have been talking about it (laughs) in the industry. So
0: one of the, uh, from, from what I can tell, it looks like it's going to be about as easy to install as, you know, an alternate keyboard on, on your iPhone, which is something that, again, a certain class of nerdy people have been able and willing to do and happy to do. And others might, might not have up to this point, but the, the, the value proposition is so clear who, who wouldn't want, a faster internet that takes up less less uh, data that 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 doesn't make you aim for five little tiny x's before you can see a 200 word article. Um, it, it, when you're talking to publishers, do they seem to have sympathy for the idea that the consumer the same consumer the desires that are going to lead to ad blocker downloading are legitimate desires, or do they sort of uh, argue? We're publishers, we sell ads, this is the deal. We you, you get to you have to look at the ads to get the content.
1: Yeah. You know, I hate to overly generalize because there, again, there's a lot of noise and there's education happening, but for the most part, the, the what I call the premium publishers, the the brands that you know that literally have businesses built off of the trust of their consumers, which is a lot of our members of, of our organization, they, they get it. Once they've Once they've got all the facts and the information and they kind of understand here here's why consumers are doing this and this is this is how it's being done, they immediately push towards, okay, what can we do as leaders of this industry, as brands that are built off of that trust of consumers to solve this issue? If if this is a group of consumers, and I'm not speaking about the there's a fringe group of consumers that's always existed, ad blocking's always existed. Uh, These are the the same folks that turned off autoload images back in Netscape in the nineties. Those people are always going to exist and we're not talking about them. Um, It's the, the the adoption in the last couple years of ad blocking that, that you immediately have to focus on. And, and the premium publishers are looking at that, that and saying, Hey, there's a problem here. There's, there's been billions of dollars that have invested in ad tech and, the consumer clearly hasn't been given proper consideration and now they're speaking up with, with software and we need to be leaders to find a way, you know, industry wide to come up with better user experiences and provide, you know, transparency controls that will solve this issue. So I think that's, that's the, that's the mature, I think, approach to it.
0: It's interesting to think of, of parallels to uh, the music business back in the the sort of Napster BitTorrent era where on one hand uh, there was a business model that involved payment for music in the same way that, you know, there's a payment of attention in exchange for content. Along comes a, a technological solution that makes getting the f- content free easy. A- and I think of the various ways that the music industry responded to to that uh, that shift. And, you know, there was some marketing, you know, you know don't be a dope down you know pay for your music don't use napster that sort of thing um, but it ended up taking you know uh, a, a real business model shift and and uh and a technology shift to sort of get through that era do you think that the end result of this a few years down the line is going to be there's still going to be ads on on phones and that's still going to be the uh, the the driving share of of pub- publishers business you know revenue models, or do you think this is the the beginning of the push to you know have advertising no longer be as big of a, a part of of how premium publishers make their money online
1: you know I don't think we know yet i we mean, you know we counsel our members and we've been doing this you know since since the first dot com bubble back in fifteen years ago that that diversity of revenue around your brand is is vital, and and non advertising revenue and thinking about other models to to tie to your brand um, beyond just advertising is is critical. And so a lot of our research and events is focused on that. And so I, I you know that's a steady trend. Yes, if ad blocking c- continues to accelerate, then that becomes even more important, and you see. You see publishers testing different models and you see technology companies that are going to start chasing how they can help facilitate those models. You're seeing, you know, blend different companies uh, out there that are, are testing new models and, and those make sense. Um, display advertising, pixels on the screen that want to associate with content valued content brands are still going to be a part of the mix. They have to be a part of the mix. I am on the optimistic side of all of this, that it will lead to better, better creative, better technology, better experiences, better performance for the consumer. And, and, you know, a refocus on, on the consumer that will end up benefiting the brands and the premium publishers that really want to be consumed.
0: I don't want to extend the, the RIAA metaphor too much, but one of the one of the issues that, that seems uh, maybe a little bit different about about this is that if you're trying to convince people to stop downloading music for free, um, you can convince them to change their behavior. They they will have downloaded things in the past, but they maybe decide to start buying through iTunes from that point on. Um, with ad blockers, it seems like it's such a blunt instrument. You install it on your phone and it's turned on, and then you're... The bad ads disappear and the good ads disappear uh, without too much of a distinction between them. Again, we're waiting to see what the actual implementations look like, but I think we can imagine it's not going to – most of them are probably not going to have a setting for – but if the ads are tasteful, (laughs) we'll let them through. And and then once – even if you convince people to – to that that advertising is okay, or you improve the quality of your advertising, or you reduce the impact on load time or data usage or whatever else. Getting people to go in and turn off that 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 filter that's improving their online experience strikes me as a really hard ask. I just I just wonder about uh, how how blunt an instrument this is going to be and how that's going to impact the industry's reaction to it.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, the comparison to music business is is a good one there, and you know it is different. It's similar in that the solutions involve building a better experience for the consumer to change their behavior, which is what we saw in the music space. The the distinction is right there too. And it is a blunt instrument. It is accurately described as a tragedy of the commons. You know, premium publishers deal with those types of issues all the time in the open web. And that's, that's, (laughs) It's you know it's the beauty of the open web, but it also can be a frustration and is that you know one rogue site that's just a terrible consumer experience can then up then end up affecting the business model and the advertising revenue for some of the most valuable content, whether it be entertainment or or reporting or information that we have um, with no discretion. And that yeah, that's extremely it's got to be extremely frustrating. If, you know, if you're a a a brand like a, you know, an ESPN or New York times. And then some, you know, out there website is driving users to adopt ad blocking and you're being impacted by it when you really aren't the target at all. Um, And so I I do agree that there's a possibility ad blocking will just always be a feature or a concept built into, into the web. Um, And it's, you know, it's much more than ad blocking. It's, you know, that's just the, the term that was kind of labeled on them. Um, They have, they do all different things for all different people, but much the same as pop-ups, you know, ad blocking of pop-ups is built into the browser and we've all kind of forgotten about it. You you know, we don't download software to do that. It's just a, it's just a option on the browser. So, you know, I think the more important thing is how, how, how do we get ads through that, you know, consumers don't mind. How do we get them whitelisted, you know, with the right principles that, they can continue to do what they need to do, which is is help the funds and the great content it,
0: it, it seems so I guess one path forward could be what adblock plus does, which is essentially uh, i mean it 's hard to describe without using criminal language, but yep. uh, it takes it takes bribes of some sort to let their ads go through uh, you can some sort of hush money i don 't know what the right framing is, but <laughs> uh, taking taking money from from some publishers to say well don 't block our ads. Um, you can imagine uh, that that would be a frustrating experience for whatever companies develop the most popular uh, mobile ad blockers. Um, we've also seen some publishers uh, You know, – we've seen a variety of reactions. Some publishers are saying, well, you can't view our content because you're using an ad blocker. Some have used it as, a, as an upsell to some sort of membership program. Um, what are some of the more useful or creative um, or interesting responses from individual publishers you're seeing now in this environment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anything that involves engaging directly with the consumer is interesting right now, and you know, I think the the easiest, most natural thing to test is just asking the consumer to whitelist your site. Hey, this pays for for the content you're enjoying for free. Please whitelist us. I, unfortunately, all the intel I've seen so far is that that doesn't work that well. Um, you know, the the guilt trip or the moral argument um sounds nice, but <laughs> it's it's not getting consumers to act differently. Now I think different content has different will have different success rates there. But the important thing is they're engaging with the consumer and, and that's frankly what any of these premium publishers have that makes their ability to navigate this long term so much more promising is that they have actually a relationship with their consumer and the consumer values their content. If you're a brand that, the cons- that you're creating commodity content and you're bu- arbitraging or buying traffic through your site, you're in a much better, I mean, a much, excuse me, much worse position um, to deal with this. So, uh, you know, the, the high quality content brands, you know, that are valued, I think should be engaging with their customer, testing different models and you know, it's, at least it's my perspective. They shouldn't be cutting off the relationship in a blunt way, um, because this is going to be a long, you know, long development in my mind.
0: There's a strategy that make that might make sense for, the, as you said, the ESPNs and the New York is of the world. But you know, most most news publishers are not the the ESPNs of the New York Times. They're local publishers, local newspapers, local broadcasters, um, small scale companies that often uh, don't have significant. Ad tech resources uh, in house that rely on on outside ad networks for a large part of their uh, selling a large part of their inventory um, you know that don't have you know membership options to to upsell to yeah. um, if you're a small publisher and you've're you're, you're seeing like everyone else all your traffic shift to mobile and you know starting you know, soon you're gonna see some share, who knows how big of a share, but some share of that no longer showing up. Is there anything that, that the smaller guy can do?
1: Well, I mean, you know, again, it's it's the adoption's growing, but it's still, you know, if you're a small publisher, the the traffic growth of getting new users is still probably uh, more than offsets the ad blocking rate going from, you know, twelve percent to fifteen percent over the next Six months or whatever that is. Um, so I think staying focused on their product and delivering the best product they can is is probably what my priority would be. And we've got plenty of small uh, premium publishers in our membership too. And and you know I think that's where they're focused is. You, know, if you stay focused on the consumer, then the business model will come uh, to deal with this long term. In my perspective, and you know the the. Dependence on third-party ad networks and other agents to sell your advertising is probably a lot more significant reason for your problem in the first place and in our industry-wide problem that we have than anything else right now. I mean, the fact that you know, two-thirds of digital advertising is direct response advertising, the equivalent of junk mail in your mailbox, and and it's built almost entirely off of collecting and using data by third parties as you browse the web, that is a major reason for the increase in adoption of ad blocking. So, you know, the fact that you may have trouble uh, monetizing some of your content through the third party ad network that has no concern over your customer is maybe more of the problem than it is. Um, than it is the fact that that you're not able to use them to the same degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, you tweeted recently tracking is immaterial to most publishers' revenue streams. It's an industry myth that it's necessary. Is that is that sort of connected the the idea that um, the large scale technology uh, and, and tracking across domains and all the rest is is for most publishers sort of beside the point? Yeah, no, it's.
1: I mean, having an outside ad network or an outside agent to help you sell your advertising if you're small. Yes, that's valuable. That's always been valuable, but this notion that the browsing history that you generate as you browse the the web, um, whether it be on your desktop or in a more personal way on your phone, that it's necessary for a Facebook or any of the other major exchanges or networks to be collecting and using that data um, to build up profiles to help get a little bit more money out of every ad that serves is it's a myth. The industry's created a extremely dangerous myth that online behavioral advertising, that's the term for it. Tracking users across sites is vital to the content ecosystem. And that's just simply not true. If it went away tomorrow, we would deal with it.
0: It would be much more of a, a hit to the Facebooks of the world.
1: It would be a hit to the Facebooks of the world, the Googles of the world and a lot of, uh, a lot. It'd be a hit to anybody that's a third-party ad tech company mm-hmm. doesn't have a relationship with a consumer or really any right to be collecting using that data. Yeah,
0: I think one of the frustrating things for publishers in, about the, what Apple's doing is is the perception, you know, accurate or not, it's at least somewhat accurate, that mm-hmm. this is really a uh, only partially about Apple's desire to create a better user experience for for the people who buy its iPhones and iPads, and also uh, on a larger scale about sort of great powers work in the valley about Apple doesn't make a lot of money off of advertising. They make their money selling devices. Google makes almost all of its money off of advertising. Um, Facebook makes an awful lot of money off of online advertising. So uh, there's this sense in which it's sort of an internecine battle um, for people between, you know, San Francisco and San Jose, as opposed to, and and publishers are sort of caught up in it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the sense, but I think that's, at the end of the day, Apple is absolutely a consumer focused company and probably more successful at it than anybody we've seen in our generation. So from a, you know, at least from a hardware and software standpoint. So they're following through on a lot of the promises they've made. I mean, and you know, I think Tim Cook has been probably one of the largest voices out there in terms of the consumer and privacy and data and a lot of the the things that this ties back to. So, you can you know you can certainly take a cynical view and and say they're trying to move people to a closed ecosystem or to make Apple News more successful or or this doesn't really hurt them and it hurts their major competitor but it does line up with what's best for the consumer um, and and that is their promise and and there is an issue and they are opening up their api's which is a general you know a generally uh, accepted in, in smart way to you know to increase innovation and particularly for consumers in the internet the, the internet age so so I, you know i can 't be critical of that either
0: you know we 've been interested a lot recently in the the growing podcast advertising ecosystem and one on one level it, it seems like a natural response to uh, a sort of environment of undifferentiated dis- online display advertising where a podcast ad is you know read by the host and it 's not easily blockable um, It is perhaps skippable but a lot of people seem to be fine with with listening to them um, Are there other kinds of advertising that you think uh, an ad-, ad blocking might drive energy towards that that either that exist more readily within a universe with more ad blocking.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's always been the case that there's been new revenue lines or new revenue opportunities, new, whether it be new units or new devices or new formats that that get publishers excited and show promising growth. And, and this will only accelerate that. And so, yeah, certainly podcasts or or non skippable ads, you know, more native advertising, and I mean by that more in stream or, or like the format of the content. I you know, I think that all will continue to accelerate because of this. I I think anyone who's in the content business would be in the large content business from the standpoint of trying to have real diversity in their experiences for their customers would be foolish to think that any of those are going to be a panacea for, for ad blocking of display advertising. Um, the, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to need to be able to, to monetize the, the pixels that exist around your experience. Um, and add, te- you know, there is absolutely a tech arms race piece to this and for whatever reason, the consumer isn't happy They'll find a way to strip out other types of advertising, whether it be, you know, in the form of you know, stitched in advertising on audio or video or or a, a native placement in stream. Um, they'll find a way to strip that out for the most part.
0: Yeah. That is one of the, the questions that I think a lot of publishers have is, is it worth – you know, changing the domain names that your ad servers are using, or or or, or rotating, um, you know, trying to get around the actually rather simple rules-based uh, systems that Apple is is providing to, to to block ads, to identify and to block ads. Is is that a a race for that individual publishers should be, you know, getting into, or should they just sort of acknowledge it's one that they're unlikely to win in the end?
1: You know, I try to, I leave those decisions to the individual publishers, whether or not, you know, they want to kind of mask and try to get those ads through or, or blocking, you know, blocking those users entirely from their content. You know, I think there's a, there's a value in having different testing out there. At the end of the day, that's not giving the consumers again what they want. And, you know, I think that's where most of the energy should be focused. So if the consumer is expecting they're not going to have, an intrusive, you know, autoplay video ad pop up over their experience as part of consuming that content, and then you're suddenly able to give it to them. I don't know that that helps you long term as a brand. I, I think it maybe solves a short term revenue issue for you for the next next few weeks, maybe. And so this, you know, this cat and mouse game, you know, tech arms race, which we've seen in other venues before, is against the open internet is not. Normally, a lot of good energy spent. Um, there's other ways to, if you're worried about the long-term sustainability of your business, there's better ways to spend your time.
0: Right, like all the energy that went into shutting down Napster which just, re, you know, created 15 other things that are a lot like Napster, but weren't Napster. Exactly.
1: I mean, we had to we have to remember that the you know the the app that's being most talked about for iOS 9 that I think has been approved for today is is Crystal. Which, as, far as I understand, is is developed by one guy who has a full you know full time job who's doing it on the side. So um, there are a lot of those people out there, and and they get energized <laughs> by giving consumers what they want.
0: Right, right, yeah. It's it's going to be fascinating to see just how many uh, ad blockers or, or content blockers, as as Apple prefers to 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 call them, are going to be in the in the App Store and how you know what. You know what energy among consumers uh, uh, goes towards? Is it going to still be the the ad blocking brands from desktop, or is it going to be be newcomers? You know who who's going to be number one on the app store download free download list uh, by the end of the week? I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a lot of momentum. Whoever is so.
0: I, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, native apps, since you know, as you mentioned, uh, face a lot of the distributed content stuff we've seen in in so 2015 so far has been about uh, moving advertising and content both out of the open platform of the web into Facebook and Snarticles or Apple News or or Snapchat Discover. Um, Most individual publishers, I think it's fair to say, have struggled to get uh, big audiences for their native apps. um, And and I found that despite the development time they may put into them, um, that, encountering their content on social channels or on the open web or, or in emails or or whatever are still dominant. Do you think that, uh, that this will accelerate in any meaningful way? Um, Publishers interest in moving more of their energy towards native apps and also whether users will follow that, that energy if if it goes in that direction.
1: I think it certainly could accelerate energy around native apps again and quite frankly i mean that's one of the solutions to a tragedy of the commons problem is is to separate your product experience from from the where they are where there are the issues uh, where where consumers are getting frustrated is create your own fabulous clean app you know all of our all of our members and premium publishers really do focus on having clean well lit environments and if they can do that through an app that makes a lot of sense and it and it solves the ad blocking issue for them, at least in that, in that forum. Um, there's always been an adoption issue. You know, we all, we've all studied the data in terms of the number of apps people use on their phone and, you know, a typical day being only, you know, a handful. And, and so, you know, getting into the hearts and minds and the habits more importantly of, of the consumer, Uh, as part of their routine on their mobile devices is is difficult and you need to be a big brand and you need to have very specific, I think, value to, to being that. And so, um, so it's, I think there'll be a renewed, a new renewed uh, emphasis there. And I think it'll be difficult. Um, And, you know, the same reason that there's a lot of interest in, in being distributed out into those environments where there are habits and, and, regular usage by consumers like inside of Facebook or inside of Snapchat or inside of inside of Twitter and so you know I think that continues to be really important to publishers and so um so I, you know at the end of the day long term content companies thrive when there's you know lots of distribution options and lots of ways to to kind of natively make your content experience great inside of inside of where consumers are you know, are are getting their content and, you know, for a long time that was the television and now it's lots of different apps on phones and, and they should be in as many places as possible where it makes business sense. Just don't ever lose sight of any one of those experiences. You might not control the variables.
0: You know, it's interesting. uh, you know, iOS nine brings ad blocking, but it also brings the Apple news app to the, the public for the first time. And when I think of all the, all the attention and energy that has been directed towards Facebook and some articles, um, it, it sort of seemed out of whack with the actual, as of today, real-world impact, since it's still only used by a few publishers and only used by uh, for a small fraction of those articles, and you know it's only being tested to I think one percent of Facebook users at the moment. Versus Apple News, which is going to be on the you know the the dominant mobile platform of of the of the best customers in the United States and on a lot of other people's, uh, phones elsewhere, a nice big icon sitting on, you know, the homepage of their, on the for home screen of their phone that promises this sort of news experience. How big of a factor do you think it's going to be? Is, do you anticipate, uh, it being a big driver of, of attention and, and, and content consumption for your publishers going forward?
1: Yeah, you think it'd be, um, we really just don't. We don't ever really know until until these things really play out with the consumers. But the the benefits of it and the the clean the clean the clean experience and the you know sitting right there on your on your uh, front screen is is really powerful. So um, so I think that's why there's been such an uptake. And you know I don't think the lack of movement on Facebook, instant articles is anything except for figuring out the mechanics of, of creating this content for a different platform and using their language and, and making it scalable. Uh, I think there's still a lot of opportunity there with Facebook instant articles. Also, Um, you know, the important thing we've seen out of the gate is I think those models have been built in a way that's, that are conducive to publishers wanting to, to participate and, and, you know, they're competing with each other, which is a good, is really a good thing for a, a publisher because their contents in demand I mean, the only, the only thing that really, I think it's all upside, having these different distribution channels and um, for this content and, and the way it's fragmented is not necessarily a bad thing at all. I, I think the only real downside is we just can't let the, the beauty of the open Internet and everything that is so fabulous about the browser experience in terms of the open aspect of it and the ability for new competition to come in and to find new ways to deliver your content, we can't let that go away. That'd be the, the worst possible thing that could happen out of out of these new apps and ad blocking in general. Would be that there's this migration from the, the what's beautiful about the open internet to these private platforms. That'd be a very bad thing for content companies. Yeah.
0: I also wanted to ask about what kind of an impact do you think this is going to have on analytics, separate from advertising. As I as I said before, it's not we call them ad blockers, but you know, in Apple's terms, they're content blockers, and they can just as easily block you know a Google Analytics beacon or an Omniture beacon or, or any other sort of imped that that provides the you know the the data that publishers use to see what articles are doing well, which articles are doing poorly, you know, tracking user behavior, all sorts of really important stuff um, that. Uh, a ham-fisted ad blocker um, that was just trying to eliminate third-party JavaScript loads—that sort of thing—could very easily um, eliminate. Uh, do you do you see, or have you, in your talks with publishers, are they concerned about losing some of the user data that um, that they have been using to try and you know make smart decisions about their business?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some concern there. I don't think that's You know that's that's intelligence for their business, which is as much as it's you know similar to the the folks that they're still able to continue to track that don't have ad blocking. It's not that significant of an issue. It doesn't impact revenue directly like the ads themselves. Um, So I think it's something they you know they pay attention to. And when you probably the biggest topic that comes up with with the distinction between the users that have ad blocking on that you're not getting those analytics analytics data on um, versus the ones that have ad blocking off is that it seems the ones that have ad blocking on do a lot more consumption. They're much, much more rabid, you know, consumers. And, and, you know, that's probably part of the reason that they, they install ad blocking. They're, they're just a different type of user. And so, so that's where you're probably missing is you're probably missing some of your most engaged users, which is, you know, really ironic and unfortunate because <laughs> they're the one, also the ones you're no longer making money off of.
0: Right. All right. Last thing I want to ask you, um, on a scale of one to 10, uh, let's say 10 is, oh my God, we're all going to die tomorrow because ad blocking has, has completely destroyed the economic uh, ecosystem to support publishing. That's a 10. A one is... Uh, this is nothing. Ad blocking is a myth. Uh, it's not going to have any impact at all. Publishers should just do exactly what they were doing yesterday, tomorrow. Um, where are you? How big of a deal is this? How worried should, uh, should publishers be? And how, how big of a factor do you think this is going to be on where online publishing goes the next couple of years? I would put it in the
1: eight or nine range. Very high. I think the, the perspectives that this is overplayed, um, I think are way off and this is very very significant. Yes, there's a lot of hype around it and a lot of press focused on it right now, but it's for good reason and I think it's it, sh- it should at the end of the day transform our business and the types of advertising, the experiences of our consumers in a significant way over the next few years because it's, it is a big deal. And but again, I, I look at that as an opportunity. And I don't see that as the sky is falling. It's going to destroy our business. I actually look at it as a way to kind of separate the to use uh, Doc Searles' term to separate the wheat from the chaff. And and I think the the wheat always wins, hopefully long term. And um and I think that's what's happening here.
0: And there are just a lot of people who think they're wheat, and hopefully they will continue <laughs> to think they're wheat.
1: <laughs> that's true.
0: That's episode 16 of Press Publish. Hope you enjoyed it. My thanks to Jason for the conversation. You can find him on Twitter at Jason underscore Kent. That's K-I-N-T. You can find DCN at digitalcontentnext.org. If you like our show, I hope you'll subscribe. You can find the link to our feed at presspublish.org or just look for us in iTunes. If you like the show, a positive review there helps us out a lot. The Neiman Journalism Lab is a project of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism at Harvard University, home of the Neiman Fellowships, Neiman Reports Magazine, Neiman Storyboard, and much more. Find us at neiman.harvard.edu. This episode was recorded at Walter Lippmann House. Walter Lippman, who said, Whenever we accept an idea as authority instead of as instrument, an idol is set up. We worship the plow and not the fruit. Our theme music is Missing You by Trash 80. Check back next week for another episode of Press Published. But until then, always remember, disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you.